Yesterday, Sunday, my brain was in a very peculiar state, trying to process too many different things at once, and nothing was coming out in the right order. Today, well, last night I managed to put back together a piece of code that I've been working on for some time and managed to trash so that it worked. And as often happens, the replacement code worked considerably better than what it replaced because you learn so much as a result of doing what you're doing that you can do it better. So I then had a piece of code that would process images into images that I could programmatically, using different parameters in the command space, tell it how to do it and to what depth to do it. And so this morning I wrote one more little piece of code that generates images of different depth. So I did talk about this the other day, but I'll talk about it again. If you imagine going down one step and then coming out, you get an image that looks very similar to what you started with, indistinguishably so really. If you go down two steps, you get something that looks pretty much the same when you come two steps out again go down three, four, five, it becomes progressively less identical but it still looks pretty much the same until you, in this particular case, do about six steps down and six steps out when it starts to change. Now, did I mention this? I don't know. But I arranged all of this in a triangular grid so that I had the single depth image at the top, then two images at the same interval below it, then three, then four, so that it created a triangular image. And at the bottom there were ten images in a row from what looks like more or less complete chaos all the way up to something identifiable as something. And as you perhaps will remember, I've been obsessing about how you could trace this whole process and getting frankly nowhere. A very helpful guy on the Apple developer GitHub site, who I think perhaps works for Apple, he may be the curator of the particular thing I was on. He gave me a pointer to a very interesting paper from 2020 about diffusion models in probabilistic spaces or spaces in probabilistic diffusion or some permutation forward. And so when I'd done that and I thought, you know, I get this getting better than I've ever got it before, which is always gratifying. And so I redid my triangle thing with a different image. And I have to say it produced rather a weird set of images 
But as I've just been saying, about the first four were very similar. You could see a slight progression. The fifth is surprisingly different. The sixth, bizarrely different. And then the seventh, eighth, ninth and tenth were more or less recognisable in their ancestry, even if the image itself that I ended up with was not recognisably from the same stable. Stable, uh, stable diffusion. Oh, that's terribly funny. I must, I must patent that. Um, but when I looked at this image again, which I had rearranged, so that as I say, the single step was at the top, then the two step were next to one another on the next level and so on all the way down. I suddenly realized that since the left-hand column represents the starting point, if you start at the top and you go down that column, then what it gives you, even if it's not quite what actually happens, but what it gives you is a visual representation of the increasing depth of the noising process of the original image, even if it's done just in one step, which I think it is. That's the thing that the kindly man from Apple or whoever told me. So you go one down and you can see the first image blurred. You go two down, blurred a bit more, three down, blurred and so on, all the way down to the tenth row when it's just unrecognisable. Although, if you trace it down, you can see it disappear in front of your eyes, as you might say. And what I want to do when I get home is to do this in a strip and even create a movie out of it so that you can see the degradation of the original image to the point where you stop noising it and then you can see the denoising process and then you can see the whole thing in, in a chain. But it struck me that as you go down and then you turn right and you go to the end, you have in effect got a representation of the whole process. Now, someone listening to this without being able to see the graphic is probably well wondering what on earth I'm talking about. But let me just say that it represents the end of a fairly tortuous piece of investigation. And you might say, well, if it's, only, if it's done in just one fell swoop, the noising, how can you, how can it be deeper? Well, the answer is because the amount of noise that you add is proportional to the depth of the layer that you go to. So as you increase the strength of the process, remember, the stronger the strength is, the further from the original image you go on a scale of 0 to 1. So if you have strength a half, you go roughly halfway. And so you go further down. I mean, to put it this way, suppose you have a sand pit and you take bigger and bigger shovel. You take out more and more sand each time. So if you, your strength gets bigger, you just dig deeper, albeit in one fell swoop. But you do go deeper. And so the, the image that you end up with, at the very bottom, you've gone down 10 layers, as 
far from the original image as you're going to go in this particular experiment, and then you dig your way out again. Orpheo and Eurydice. And that represents what I've mentioned before, that represents a real keystone in the arch. I suddenly get it. I really do suddenly get it. And I'm really quite excited by it. To probably try and do something with this idea so that it doesn't just get lost. Uh, but anyway, I think it's, it's exciting, it's illuminating. I know exactly what's going on. And the only, I, I think the only thing that remains for me is to investigate a bit more how the text prompt helps to guide this process. Because if one takes the view, which I am now persuaded is true, that the noising process is just done randomly, but it's not done randomly, this is quite important. If you take the original image, it's a ping image, PNG image, which is just a series of bits or bytes in an array, and the, the bytes contain the colour code for each pixel. If you take that and you apply noise to each pixel independently, then of course you're going to get an image when you noise it that is very, very far removed from the original image because you haven't retained any of the relative positional information. So suppose you take an image with a face in it. If you add noise to each pixel in that face independently, then by the time you finish, it probably won't look like a face at all. But that's not quite what happens because what you know that the, the way images and faces are recognised by computers is that they use a scanning block, a kind of window. If you imagine a transparency, suppose you've got an image that's 512 bytes square, you might take what's called a convolutional block that's 4, 8, 16, doesn't matter, square, and you slide it over the original image and you do some mathematical operation on the original image and you might move it just one pixel each time or you might move it eight pixels each time again this is this is called the stride and as you do that you get a representation of, of chunks of the original image and those chunks of the original image are of course in their original juxtapositions. So those juxtapositions will be preserved by the convolutional process that takes chunks out of it. So you'll end up, I suppose it's a 4 by 4 convolution, you'll take 16 pixel squares all the way through the image. So you can end up with a lot of those but then you apply the blurring, not to individual pixels, but to the whole square. And the, it's called Gaussian blurring because you can apply, if you imagine a sort of hill that, that's uh, 
symmetrical about an axis in the middle it looks like a sort of Mexican hat. If you imagine that in the shape of a two-dimensional, as we now call it, normal distribution, which is what a Gaussian is, if you imagine that shape applied to the square, then the edges will be distorted less and the middle will be distorted more in accordance with the height of the bump in the middle of the hat. And as you move the hat over the image, you will distort different bits by different amounts, but you will not distort them in ways that disturb the relative positions. So if you look at one of my images, as you go down the left-hand column, I really should put this on Instagram, shouldn't I? As you go down the left-hand column, you will see that although the image becomes blurry, it doesn't become unrecognisable all at once. It, it gradually changes. It progressively changes. And that's because you're, you're looking at it in ways that re respect the relative positions of the pixels that you're adding noise to. And adding noise in this case just means making the value slightly different. So if the pe pixels just represent colour, all you're really doing is just changing the colour a bit. Now, there is then of course a very profound, important question, which is alright, well if you're just adding bits of noise, how does the blessed thing end up with any kind of shape that looks like anything at all? And the answer to that is exactly this point about how the text prompt prevents the image from just going off into the bundu. It is constantly constraining it. And if you want a sort of everyday example, imagine you're trying to do a drawing and you do your drawing and you look at it and you think, hmm, this is, I talked about this pretty much the same way the other day. This is supposed to be a cow, but it's starting to look a bit like a horse. So you rub bits out or you make amendments. Well, that's effectively what the text prompt is doing. You may well say, well, how on earth does it do that? Well, fair comment, fair question. I won't deal with that right now. So the text prompt is constantly cross-referencing what you've done with what you're supposed to be doing. So when you go down the left-hand column of my triangular array and get to the bottom, and it looks more or less like total chaos, but you, because you can see the evolution, I suppose one must call it devolution, but the, the degradation of the thing downwards, you can see that it's not absolute chaos, it's relative chaos. therefore when you get to the bottom left corner and you've got the most noisy square in the triangle that's where your process stops at that level of strength and then you start backing out again in fact almost literally backing out again by trying to undo what you've done but not in such a way that you replace what you've done exactly with what was there before just with something that is like what was there before but not quite the same 
and the text prompt, which has been made into an embedding, which is a, an array of numbers, a vector, can be used as the test for the efficacy of that backing out of the most chaotic depth. And if you ask me, well, how does it do that? How do you turn a text into a string of numbers, which when you apply it to an emergent image, can correct it so that it becomes what it's supposed to be? How on earth does that happen? Well, the answer is because that's the way the model was trained. The, the embeddings are not made to the text prompt arbitrarily. The process that does the embedding, whether it be through an attention mechanism or through something like BERT or Gilbert or all the other things that there are, whatever, whatever does it, does it in a way that is consistent with and based upon and absolutely inseparable from the model of image-to-image -image generation that you're using. So the reason why that text prompts embedding enables you to do this is because the embedding has been done by the very same thing that you're relying on to do the rest of it. Uh, I don't think I can go into any more detail here. No, I really, I think I shouldn't. But basically, if you imagine, let me put it this way. Suppose somebody gives you directions as to how to find their house. Those directions would be useless if they weren't in a language that you could speak. So what we're really saying here is that the text embedding is done in a language that the model speaks because it's done by the very thing that created the model. So if I've created the model in Mongolian, I'm going to give you a text prompt embedded in Mongolian and that means that you, when you get the directions, you will find your way to my house. If you speak Mongolian and I give you a text prompt in, I don't know, Urdu, probably won't help. So it's the same, they speak the same language. The embedding of the text image, text prompt, is done in the same language that the model needs it to be done in order for the model to be able to denoise the chaos that's been created from the original image. That's the essence of it. That it's incredibly clever, incredibly complicated, and requires enormous amounts of computing power. Undeniably true. Undeniably true. But those enormous amounts of computing power are all focused on a series of techniques that were all designed in concert together to work together so it's not that your text prompt is just translated into any old sequence of numbers. It's translated into absolutely the sequence of numbers that you need if you're to use the particular model, be it stable diffusion as it is in my case, that you're using. Absolutely the case. So. Well, I think that's it, really. Uh, you have to speak a language that people understand.
So let's leave it there for today because my mind has suddenly gone a blank as though completely exhausted of content. Thank you for listening.